Everybody, I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, uh, I'm sitting in my recording studio here, uh-huh. and the cold air is blowing from my air conditioner right on my head. And I was thinking I should order a Game of Stones hoodie <laughs> to help keep me warm. Yeah, hoodie or a toque. Yeah, maybe both. Yeah, warm at the same time. Keep you nice and toasty. Sure. That sure. cold recording studio that you have, but you want it cold. It keeps the energy up. Exactly. That's why I got it uh, cold and just yeah. trying to, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's I, do I'm it. excited for this. Yeah. So we are here coming back our last week here where we're going to be ranking players in a given decade. We have made it to the 2010s. Before we start, though, I do want to note that the Paralympic Games are going on over in Tokyo they tend to not get the same level of attention from the general public as the Olympics. But there are some remarkable stories. I read this week about the goalball team, the Canadian goalball team. I, I was unfamiliar with goalball. I could not tell you the rules of goalball, but it seems to be a very challenging sport where you are laying down with a blindfold on and there's a ball that the other team rolls and you have to try to stop it. And there's a bell in the ball. And the Canadian team has been together, they're, they're partners, uh, the, they've been together for over a decade, have won world championships, but have not been able to break through at the Paralympics. A, a remarkable story, and these are the sort of things that you can find at the Paralympic Games. So I would encourage everybody to pay attention to the Paralympics. There's some phenomenal athletes and some terrific stories over there in Tokyo. So don't get, let that one get lost in the shuffle. Cool. That sounds uh, really fun. I'll check that out. Yeah. So coverage on CBC, they're streaming everything, the most extensive coverage of the Paralympics ever. So we're looking forward to that. And on a similar note, I did notice that the Canadian wheelchair curling team was practicing over the weekend out in Edmonton as they get ready for the 2022 Paralympics over in Beijing as they try to mm-hmm. redeem themselves after a very controversial situation back in 2018 which we will talk about as the paralympics approach so uh, everything's starting to come together here scott yeah it's uh it's great they say it's the dog days of summer but uh got more than usual thanks to the paralympics absolutely uh, on our sports calendars yeah so as i said we are here to do the 2010s our final edition of ranking players by decade 2010s, this is a loaded decade. We had a lot of trouble trying to come up with 10, which is why we didn't. Uh, We've (laughs) fudged this a little bit. You'll see how when we get there. But Scott, how hard was this to try to think of a top 10 for the decade? And who are some of the people who might not be here, who you might expect, given how we focus so much on things like the Olympics in doing earlier versions of these rankings? Well, yeah, Sean, uh, it it was so hard because we're looking for the entire decade. And uh, last week we talked about, you know, some dynasties that were maybe good for half a decade. But when we're talking about the 2010s here, 
we see a team like Anna Hasselberg sort of break through in that 2017, 2018 timeframe doesn't really give them a lot for the decade. I, I think we're going to talk about them anyway, but <laughs> somebody like uh, the, the Korean women, uh, yeah. Team Kim, you know, really high peak, but only for a year or two. We have Eve Muirhead here as a honorable mention. She is does have the longevity, but maybe not the peak. So it's it's really tough the, this decade. You know, with the Olympics, we see it. We see the quadrennial really come into focus in the 2010s. Uh, before that, teams are sticking together for as long as they can, uh, trying to make a run not only at the Olympics but at the World Championships too. Whereas since 2010, it's really been a four-year cycle that everybody's focused on. So when that happens, it's harder to give, uh, to find a team that's good for the whole decade or a player that's really great for the whole decade. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the challenge here, but we have hit that challenge head on. So Scott, let's start here with our honorable mention. This is one way we have fudged it. Uh, I, I put out a tweet before the 2021 women's world curling champion saying that the field included an Olympic medalist, a past world champion, a member of the Order of the British Empire, and an honorary doctorate. And that was just Eve Muirhead. And she mm-hmm. is our honorable mention for all of those reasons. Uh, really great over the course of the decade, a staple as Team GB. She's had some injury problems over the last few years, missed a couple world championships, but she is a world champion in a decade where women's world champions were hard to come by unless you had a certain flag on your back and Mm -hmm. uh, making the Olympics, having good runs at the Olympics, not getting to where she wants to be, of course, as a gold medalist at the Olympics, but a really remarkable player and has had a a long sustained run for someone who is not very old. Yeah. And I think, you know, we saw her come to that success earlier in the decade with uh, her team that, uh, you know, she was got very comfortable with. And then after the 2018 Olympics and even a little bit before that, you know, I had to shift and adapt to a new team. So she's been consistently great, but having the revolving door as teammates has hurt her. I would say performance wise, right? You got to get used to a new team. It's, it's not always easy to just come in and, and play. So yeah, for just off the list, it, it was a tough leave, to be honest. Uh, we have a lot of great names on this list. So wanted to make sure that we at least mentioned Eve Muirhead. Absolutely. So let's get into the list proper. Last week, I did the even numbers, I think. Uh, you did the odd. Maybe that's wrong. But this week, Scott, you're going to do the evens. I'm going to do the odds. So that means you're up first. Who is in the number 10 position? We talked last week, Sean, about the Olympics being really important. We're going to go with Brad Jacobs team here uh, as the Olympics winner in 2014. Uh, They sort of burst on the scene here in Canada in 2011, 2012. And then EJ sort of fixed his delivery. They brought in Ryan Fry and won the Briar in 2013. Uh, Followed that up by winning the Canadian trials uh, that winter leading into the 2014 games, winning that gold medal. 
after that, this, they don't have the success of winning at the Briar, but I believe they made the playoffs for the next five years in a row. Uh, so yeah. always up there near the top of the table. Uh, just a really consistently good team and uh, really strong on the tour as well. This is the decade we really see uh, the Grand Slams taking off Yep. Uh, after they're sort of rescued by Sportsnet. Uh, yep. So we'll be talking a little bit about about that. They have seven Grand Slam victories under their belts overall. So just a really consistently good team. Uh, they had that that peak at the the Olympics, which is sort of a really great place to peak. <laughs> yeah, I'd say uh, so. And just like have been struggling to get back to that peak since. But even so, still a very, very strong, strong team. Yeah. Absolutely. They had that remarkable run from Briar to trials, as you said, to the Olympics and just dominant over that stretch. Like they, they were remarkably consistent during that period. Mm-hmm. Very hard to beat. They had the high, hard weight, great sweeping at the front end. The addition of Fry, when they brought Fry into that team and they were able to put EJ back in the second position, that's where it clicked. EJ could be a great third, I think, but having Fry there who'd done it before at a high level, he seemed to be that secret sauce that they needed, the three of them, to get to that next level. And when Jacobs was there, it was remarkable to see the emotion that they had, the just pouring out of them, which at times 2017 trials worked against them. But when it was going right, it was it was really good. Some controversy around this team. The uh, issues after the Olympics in the 2015 Briar, where with with knees on the ice and the, the, mm-hmm. the fans turning on them a little bit. It's not a smooth ride for this team over the course of the decade by any means, but arguably one of the highest peaks of anybody in the world. Yeah. And Sean, you, you talk a lot about asking Brad Gushu about why the same teams were making the playoffs at the Briar every year. And he said it was because they were the most consistent skips. Yeah. Right. So uh, Brad Jacobs as the skip of that team, very consistent. I think getting a little frazzled at the uh, trials there in 2017 uh, really forced them to take a step back and evaluate. And they did that. Uh, there's a lot more positive uh, language coming out of the, uh, from them the last uh, two or three years. Oh, wait, so- wait, 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 wait. Well, let, let's talk about this. Then. Let's, okay. let's talk about it and see what happens. Let's talk about it. That was my Brad Jacobs impression from the last two years. That's great. It's that's what he does. And it's nice for, for somebody that was like a bit of a hothead before that. Yeah. uh, To take that step back. And, you know, as you get older, you get more perspective too. So uh, yeah, this team's at number 10 because they did have a short peak, but also quite consistent uh, throughout the whole decade. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to this team after this year, this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Brad has alluded to potentially stepping away. He has alluded to potentially it'd be a, a breaking up of the team. It feels like the Kennedy edition was for a quad and, and whether or not that would sustain yep. seems unlikely from afar, but this is a team that going into a new decade here will be very interesting to see what what happens to the four of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if they decide that's it, they've had a great career. Yes. 
They certainly have. So let's move on to somebody else who has had a great career. And another team that really is on this list for what they did in one half of the decade. But this is the latter half of the decade, Scott. I want to talk about Brad Gushu and the team that he currently plays with, the Nichols, Galant, and Walker Foursome. Once this team comes together, Nichols comes back to Newfoundland after having played in Manitoba. That's when it all starts to come together for Brad Gushu. He had won, as we talked about last week, the 2006 Olympics, but hadn't had the level of success at the Briar that he wanted. And for a long time, he said, I'm the only player in the country who would rather win the Briar than win the Olympic gold medal. Because, well, he had already done it. He and he, done it, yeah. he starts to get those results later in the decade. Loses the 2006 final in Ottawa to Kevin Cooey. Comes back, beats Kevin Cooey in that final in 2017. A game that's really hard to forget for how emotional it was, the sound that that crowd makes. We forget, too, that there was a power outage during that game, which just mm. built everything up even more. Uh, and then comes back and wins the Briar again in 2020. In Kingston, uh, he went back to back in the Briar. He wins again in 2018 as Team Canada, world champion in 2017, a silver medal, losing the final in 2018 in that Vegas World Championship. Mm-hmm. Just this is the Brad Gushu. When when people talk about how it it takes time to learn how to skip at a high level to find success, Brad Gushu is the template of that. Somebody who all the talent in the world won world junior championships. It just took a lot of time and a lot of tinkering to be able to find that sustained success at the next level. But he has found it and the team that he is with has found it. And out of all the teams that are currently on tour, I don't know how many are going to stay together. I'm very pessimistic that any will stay together. This is the one that I would not blink at if they said, yeah, we'll, we'll stay together. We like playing together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're right, though. It's like hard to see a lot of the top teams staying together. But this is an easy team to root for, right? Yeah. Uh, they're all pretty likable, great players. Um, Brad himself is is very, very likable, uh, good with the media. Sean, we had him eighth on our list in the 2000s and we have met ninth in the 2010s. Yep. Even though the 2010s include three world championships, right? Yeah. Or that's how good this decade three, is. Three briars. That's how good this decade is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very good. Uh, that said, you know, the Olympic success in 2006, he hasn't uh, done as well at the trials since then. No, wasn't uh, even at we'll the trials s- in 2013. No. Yeah, that's uh, pretty insane, right? Yeah, didn't get through the, the pre-trials. He has won 10 slams, but two of them were elite 10. So, you know, you know. so doesn't well, count. Doesn't count. Uh, yeah, but uh, just like the consistency through the decade is still there with him representing Newfoundland every briar where he wasn't Team Canada. Absolutely. So, uh, so Scott, let's move on to another player who has emerged on the scene lately for the number eight position. Yeah, so, so I mentioned uh, Anna Hasselberg at the beginning there. It, She's at number eight because the success has come in, say, the last four years or so. Four world championship appearances in 17, 18, 19, 21. I guess 20 was canceled. 
five euros starting in 2014 and then 16, 17, 18, 19. They won Olympic gold in 2018 and Olympic gold is what people are trying to do. Yep. So there you go. Uh, two silvers in the world championships in 18 and 19 gold in the euros, 18 and 19 and silver in 16 and 17. Also uh, of note, 2019 world mixed doubles champion. Uh, yeah. We'll be talking about mixed doubles a little bit on this list as well. So uh, Anna Hasselberg, great player, graduated from the junior level in 2010. You know, it took her a while uh, to be able to get out of Sweden even. Well, um, I mean, you got Annette Nordberg just hanging well, out. You got Annette Nordberg, you got Elizabeth Gustafsson uh, sort of takes the reign with Maria Pritz at third. Yeah. Uh, or Maria Pritz throwing the, the four stones rather. Wasn't Sigfridsson part of this too at this time? Uh, Cecilia Ostland was there for a couple of years. So there's, you know, a little bit of a log jam in Swedish curling in between the dynasties, but Hasselberg has emerged uh, on the other side of that as the clear dominant team yeah. from Sweden. So uh, also five Grand Slams, one in 2008 or 18 and 19. Uh, she won two in a row and then had to, in 18, won two and then had to go, had to go play the Euros play in the Olympics yeah. and win the, yeah, play in the Euros and win the Olympics and then comes back the next year, wins a couple more, like no big deal. So that that's, the, the reason they're so low is just because it's more recent. Yeah. They put out, I remember they put out a statement at the start of the slam that they weren't playing and they said, oh, we wish we could be there. Good luck to everybody. And I, I tweeted something along the lines of, this is the nicest way ever of saying, you're lucky we're not there. Yeah. Because we would have won this. Um, yeah, just a very, very great run. Yeah, all they need at this point is that world championship. And they'll have everything checked off. Yeah, and then they can retire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there'll be another great Swedish team that emerges. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so moving up one spot, Scott, we're going to stay in Europe. And we're going to go to Thomas Ulsrud. In the number seven position, talked about him a little last week, losing that Olympic final to Kevin Martin in 2010. They also have their only world championship in 2014 in Beijing. Some great results of the Europeans winning in 2010 and 11, but then lost the Euro final in 12, 13, 14 and 16. So that's not what you want, but hey, you got to get to the final. Uh, like to lose it, you got to get there. So getting there is not hard or not easy, excuse me. Uh, so that is a, a great run of success at the Euros in the decade. Did participate at the Olympic Games in 2010, obviously winning that silver medal, but was also there in 14 and 18. Didn't find the same level of success. Didn't have much success on the Grand Slam circuit either. Has never won a Grand Slam, Thomas Ruzrud. But in addition to the on-ice success, which, as I said, includes a world championship and Olympic silver medal, I think the growing the game side of this team is, is something that we have to consider, that the pants and the pants dance and the amount of attention that brought into the sport, the fun that it brought to the sport, to, to mm -hmm. an environment that oftentimes to outsiders can seem kind of staid and boring. They brought excitement. They brought personality to it. And in, in Vancouver, certainly, and then again in Sochi, they were the talk of curling early on 
because of what they were wearing and the fun that they were having at these events. So I think that counts for something. And that's why we have them in number seven position. Yeah. And sort of if you if you think about them versus Hasselberg, yes, Hasselberg has the gold medal, but a shorter period of time. Ulsrud, very good over a long, long period of time. Yeah. Sean, at the 2010 Olympics, you mentioned I, I attended those. And people were literally chanting, we like your pants. <laughs> we like your pants. Like it, it was easily the craze of the Olympics oh, yeah. seeing uh, this Norwegian team. And then on top of that, they were playing really well, right? Yeah. So you, you got to see them on TV because they were playing well and they were winning games. Just a real splash. And as a hat tip to uh, you know some of the female friends I have that listen to the show, uh, I know that uh, Thomas Olsrud is some of their favorites as uh, he has adorned their walls, part of the men of curling calendar. I believe it was the cover one year. I think so. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, you know, it, he sells. That's right. Yeah. All right, Scott, who is next? Next up, Sean, we've got Kevin Cooey. Number six. What, what, what's this? Kevin <laughs> Cooey, number six. Come what the on. what? What the what? What, what the what? But, uh, Kevin Cooey really broke through here. You know, we had the Randy Furby rank and then the Kevin Martin rank and for, or Cooey was always sort of like third place in Alberta. And then in 2010 with Martin off at the Olympics, he was able to, uh, break through at the Briar, win the Briar, win the world championship that year. Uh, also won Briars in 2014, 2016 and 2019, uh, winning the world championship in 2016 as well a silver in 2019, just uh, very dominant throughout the entire decade. Uh, lots of different teammates throughout the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of the, the quadrennial pattern that I talked about at the beginning, made it to the Olympics in 2018, uh, unable to come home with a medal, uh, him and Homan. That's the first time Canada did not medal uh, in an Olympic curling event. So a little bit disappointing there. Uh, they'll be trying again to get there for 2022, but uh, a remarkable streak of great curling. And I think, you know, we, we say sometimes a team just got cooed yeah. because he's the, the guy that's got the ability to just pull incredible shots out at any time in the game and uh, kill your, uh, curling for the day right you're just feeling yeah. good and then oh we got cooed yeah yeah no, absolutely happens all the time right you see it that's why it's a, a thing that people say right yeah yeah that's uh that's it and you, we talked last week about uh glenn howard murdering joel jordison well yeah. uh brendan botcher has been murdered by kevin Cooley, uh <laughs> multiple times but uh so so yeah uh, number six Maybe uh, maybe I'm feeling a little shaky on that right now, but looking at the names ahead, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if yeah, if you're if you're angry at us, wait. Don't tweet us yet. Wait until we coat with the top five, and I'll give you number five right now. The great John Morris gets his That's own right. entry on the list in the number five spot. This is my favorite version of John Morris. I have to say, the mercenary John Morris, where he'll just go and play with whoever and have success with them 
in this decade, in the 2010s, he has medaled three times at the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship, had, had great success at that level nationally. He, of course, won the 2018 gold medal in mixed doubles with Caitlin Laws at the Olympic Games in Korea. At the four-person level, this is the decade where he has jumped around. He joined up with Jim Cotter, took them to the Olympic trials final in 2013 that they lost to Brad Jacobs, took them to the Breyer final in 2014, lost that to Pat Simmons and Kevin Cooey. And then Mm -hmm. Kevin Cooey changed up his whole team. So John Morris said, all right, Pat Simmons and Carter Rycroft and Nolan Thiessen, I'm, I'm available. (laughs) And I play for you. And they come back as team Canada in 2015. John Morris starts that week skipping. They changed up midway through the week and Morris goes to that third position. The rest is history. We've talked about the broom throw a number of times. It's a great moment. So then he goes back to Jim Cotter. They played together at the 2017 trials. Scott, he even took the team to a grand slam victory in 2016. Jim Cotter won the elite 10. Okay. It's the elite 10. (laughs) It still is a grand slam victory. And then he goes in and he has more success at the mixed doubles level after 2018. Then he joins up with Cooey again. Again, this is very much a mercenary run to the 2021 Olympic trials that we'll see later this year. But this version of John Morris, just I'll play with whoever for however long I want to, and then I'll bounce around. But wherever I am, we're going to be good is my favorite version of John Morris. And he has Mm -hmm. had a great decade after the, the Martin team went its separate ways. He has continued to have success, sustained success, despite not having a consistent team over the course of the past 10 years. Yeah. And I, and I think the reason we put him ahead of Kui on this list, well, is that Olympic medal yeah. in mixed doubles? Absolutely. Uh, and the, the two Canadian championships that you mentioned, uh, just, he's, he's just like so good with anybody. Uh, the mercenary, like you say, yeah. I, it's, it's just great. I remember interviewing him at the 2020 Briar when he was uh, the Ontario fifth. Yeah. And I asked him like, uh, so what is this? Are you done? Like, and I don't know. He, he said sort of look with a smirk, like, uh, you know, they asked me to come and we'll see, we'll see what's going on. <laughs> and then uh, it was probably there in the patch that they decided to team up yeah. with Cooey again. Right. Maybe people don't remember, but Kevin Cooey played third for John Morris uh, from 03 to 06 after Morris moved uh, out west. Yeah, I think people don't remember that because Cooey had hair. He's unrecognizable in the photos. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Scott, we're into the top five. Who was in that number four spot? Number four, Sean, we're going back to the women's game and we're going with uh, Rachel Holman. Uh, Rachel Holman in this decade... Uh, maybe the most dominant uh, female curler. Uh, we'll see who's who's left on the list. But uh, in Canada, just great. Uh, Hart's appearances in uh, 11, 13, 14, 15, 17, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, the year that they missed in 18, they were representing Canada at the Olympics. 
Uh, and in 2016, there was like a, a crazy loss in the Ontario final, yeah. but getting there, uh, very, very, very great play from this team, high level of consistency. We saw them win the Scotties in 2013 and 2017, a silver medal in 2019 and a bronze medal in 2015 and a gold. So like 2013, 14, she gets there. If if she's there, there. if she gets to the Scotties, she's winning a medal. She's winning a medal that such a great team. I think the consistency that they had on their team plays a role in that. Uh, They switched one member uh, after the 2014 season, but just uh, like a really great, great player. Yeah. Uh, Like you say, if she's there, she's in contention to win. Uh, When she's playing, she looks super focused. Uh, Just, I, I have nothing but good things to say about them and their team. Well, yeah, they're really, really good. And they did have some lineup changes, of course. Allison Kreviasik left the team, moved to Sweden. And then we had the slightly more controversial decision where Lisa Weigel uh, left the team. But the consistent side of the, the roster has always been home and, and miscue since they were five years old. And mm-hmm. I, I said it earlier, like the Gushu team, I wouldn't be surprised if they split up uh, or, or would be somewhat surprised if they split up. But Holman and Miskew, it's, it is hard to imagine them not playing together. Yeah. Yeah. The, since they were young playing together, it's, you wonder sometimes though, right? Like it, when we talk about baseball, like the manager, you know, they lost the room. Like, are you just wanting something different? Uh, but this, they, those two, like you say, they've been together so long. It seems to be working still. Yeah. And why mess with it? They're still really good. Yeah. But Scott, three players have topped them on the list, one of whom is their longtime rival who we have in the number three spot, Jennifer Jones, improving on her number five ranking from the aughts. We now have her up at number three in the decade. If you want to count the 2010 Scotties Championship as part of this decade, sure, why not? Uh, she also won in 2015 and in 2018. You can make a case about the 2018 one that, uh, the field was slightly compromised and it was the first year of the new format, whatever she won it. And then she mm-hmm. went on of course, to win the world championship in 2018 as well. Got a silver medal at the 2015 worlds after she won the Scotties in Moose Jaw that year, but really what cements th- her and the team in this number three position is another dominant performance at the Olympic games in Sochi it's really quite remarkable to think of how the four person teams in 2018 did for Canada at the Olympic games and the hand wringing that was going on in 2018 of what's wrong with Canadian curling where four years earlier, the two Canadian teams just ran through the field and Jennifer Jones certainly did that on the women's side, just a masterful performance in the women's Olympic curling event over in Sochi it was a little nerve wracking in the final, mostly because Caitlin Laws was struggling once we got later into that week as the pressure built, uh, but they wouldn't have been there without her. And Jennifer Jones, this was the peak of her career in 2014, winning that gold medal. The mix of elation and relief when she finally won, when that game was over, 
it was fun to see it. again another polarizing figure in the sport there are people who don't like her i've had the opportunity to be around her a little bit in media mixed zones and she's always been very polite and very nice uh, but at the same time you can see the game face of jennifer jones and mm-hmm. the game face of jennifer jones i don't want to be on the receiving end of that uh but that's why she's so good because she has mm-hmm. that intensity she has that laser focus and then when you see her with her kids or with brent just hanging out back behind the the curtain and everything that's where you can see the humanity of jennifer jones which doesn't always come through on television and uh, so i can understand why she might not have the greatest reaction from some fans uh, but it's that level of intensity that to me makes her so good and makes her worthwhile of being ranked so high once again yeah and and you know if we compare jennifer jones and rachel holman all the time and like you say the olympic gold medal in 2014 is what sort of pushes jones over the edge also uh, just having won the six scotties but for the decade we're, we're talking about it it's that olympic gold medal that's really the uh the extra push there yeah i mean two scotties for her compared to three for holman but she gets the olympic gold so that pushes mm-hmm. it over the top exactly yeah so uh moving uh moving on to number two on our list we've talked on the podcast before sean is this the decade of kevin cooey or is it the decade of nicholas adine well, I think uh, th- this numbers will speak for themselves. Nicholas Adini has a four-year, four world championships in the 2010s. Also won this 2021. That gives him five overall. Uh, that's pretty insane. Also has one silver and two bronze at the world championships in the 2010s. He's got six golds at the Euros in the 2010s and two silvers. Uh, the only thing he doesn't have is the, that Olympic gold medal, uh, yeah. getting that silver in 2018, uh, losing to John Schuster, who we don't see on the list, uh, by the way, just uh, in case you missed that, and uh, <laughs> bronze in 2014. So that Olympic gold is sort of the only thing that he's looking for. What's more impressive about this, Sean, is he's done it with two different teams. Yeah. Not just you know one different player. He, he had a whole different lineup up till 2014. And swapped them, swapped them out for the up and coming Ericsson team, and has hasn't missed a beat, which I think is very 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 impressive. Yeah, absolutely. He he's really good, um, obviously, but mm-hmm. it is that flexibility, the ability to play with different players seamlessly, come in and give Oscar Ericsson a lot of credit on that too. Being able to mm-hmm. go to third. And in a situation where it's not quite the same as in Canada, where you can make the teams as you want, the the Federation has a little more say for a lot of the European teams. So good on Oscar Erickson, good on the, the rest of the team to be able to come together to make it work. I think for Adin, he's one of these guys who oftentimes you, you see it all the time where the young guys come up and they have the high hard one. But he also pretty much from the start had the draw weight too and could mm-hmm. make the soft ones when he needed to. And that's what gave him that sustained level of success. And yeah, if it wasn't for John Schuster pulling a six out of nowhere in Korea, you're looking at him as an Olympic champion too. And that's really all that's left for him. It's kind of interesting. It's the reverse Hasselberg where Hasselberg yeah. needs the worlds and Nicodine needs the gold. Uh, and, and so those two dominant teams coming out of Sweden just need one more thing to cap off the careers. 
there is some pushback to Nicodine in Canada. People say that, well, he's not as good as the world championships would have you believe because he always gets to go look at his record at the Grand Slams. I think his record at the Grand Slams is fine. Yeah, and it's fine. It's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. And again, when you look, it's important, I think, to look at the Grand Slams and to look at team schedules and how teams set up their schedules. Because if you're Nicodine, a lot of the Grand Slams are in the fall, but their focus where they have to peak in the fall part of the schedule is at the Euros. Mm-hmm. It's not at the Grand Slams. So the Canadian teams can build to a Grand Slam more so than some of the European teams can early in the season. And so it's important, I think, to recognize the structure of schedules and what teams are vying for. Sure, Nicodine would love to go win every Grand Slam he plays in, but the realities of what their schedule has to be makes it so that they are, I would argue, slightly less competitive or in a position to be less competitive at some of those early season slams. Yeah, that's that's fair. And and I mean, yeah, he gets to go to the World Championships every year, but he's win. medaled in every one that he's been to. So, uh, well, since 2013 anyway. So like, that's not hard or that's not easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah it's not so, hard. You just do it show up yeah well it's not hard for him just shows up and does it (laughs) yeah but sean who else is it not hard for to just show up and win who's our number one swiss women (laughs) they just show up and win just show up and win this is the decade of swiss women we could not decide between the swiss women's teams so we wanted to recognize that the decade of the 2010s is the decade of swiss women's curling What's somewhat interesting about this is throughout this whole process, or at least in the last three of 90s, aughts and, and today, we've talked about how we've been prioritizing Olympic gold medals. Nicodine doesn't have one. The Swiss women haven't won one either. They haven't won a, a, an Olympic medal at all, but mm-hmm. they have dominated the world championships starting in 2012. They have won five of eight world championships, winning 2012. It was Miriam Ott beating Margareta Sigfridsson. 2014, Binia Felcher beat Rachel Holman in the final. In 2015, Alina Patz, with her own team, beat Jennifer Jones in the final. Binia Felcher comes back, beats Suzuki Fujisawa in 2016. And then 2019, the Tiranzoni-Alina Patz combo come together to beat Anna Hasselberg. And of course, they won again in 2021. So if you count 2021, you're looking at six of nine world championships being won by Swiss women's teams 2020 i had elena stern as my pick to win Mm -hmm. that event because of the trends Uh, but even you look at the world juniors uh, the swiss women have done exceptionally well over this decade so the number one on our list is swiss women just showing up and winning world championships yeah, and uh, it's it's our list, so we can do whatever we want. I know it's supposed to be the best players, but like you're right, Sean, we couldn't we couldn't choose because they do just show up and win, and we wanted to make sure that uh, we were recognizing all of them because in any given year, any one of them could have gone and won. Yeah, uh, it would seem right. Yeah, I, and don't come at us if if you're like, well, you know, you could have done Canadian men or women in the '70s or '80s. We could have, yeah. but we did the individual teams. Uh, and this one, there were so many great teams that 
we didn't want to leave somebody off the list to have multiples of the Swiss women. So this is our way of fudging it to get now like 15 teams on a 10 team list. Yeah. Pretty smart. eh? Yeah. What is beeping? Oh Sorry, my goodness. Uh, uh, yeah. E- even my computer was, uh, <laughs> it was saying, what are you doing? But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. The level of success that the Swiss women's program has been able to build over the last decade, uh, always strong, you know, going yeah. back even, a. a another 20 years but uh, the sustained excellence and being able to do that with multiple teams it's it's sort of the most successful international curling program outside of canada i would say uh in terms of the diversity of teams yeah i don't think it's close either no i'm trying to think you know you could argue maybe scotland but just the the level of excellence that we see uh from them on the world stage is is incredible yeah we have six world championships won by four different skips yeah incredible incredible like for for non-canada for that's happened in a non-canada nation uh Mm -hmm. it's it's unheard of like you just haven't seen anything like this that level of sustained success so it's it's fun to see i mean benia felcher has left curling competitive curling elena uh has left as well so, and Miriam Mott has retired. So it's not today. It's not like all these teams are beating each other up to get out of Switzerland anymore, but mm-hmm. the sustained success at the international level, just remarkable to see. Very good. So why don't you wrap up our list, Sean? So we have Eve Muirhead in the honorary mention list. Then top 10, Brad Jacobs, Brad Gushu, Anna Hasselberg, Thomas Ulsrud, Kevin Cooey, John Morris, Rachel Holman, Jennifer Jones, Nicholas Adine, and then the Swiss women in that number one spot. Scott, how do you feel about this list? Have we managed to get all of the great players who we wanted to include on this list? Well, yeah, with apologies to John Schuster, I think we have. I think we have. the Where I think this list, you know, if we project out to the 2020s, I think is where we're going to see a lot more Pacific Asia teams yeah. Uh, and players breaking onto this list. Uh, I was thinking we could have maybe gone with uh, Fujisawa yeah. uh, as an honorable mention. Yeah, World silver, but, Olympic silver. Yeah, but I, I think that's that's where the trend is going. I think my prediction is that when we're talking about this in 10 years, we're going to have uh, at least one, maybe two or three Pacific Asia teams on this uh, list. Yeah, like Minji Kim. Could be them. It could be uh, the the young Chinese skip whose name escapes me right now. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's where I th- that's where I think we're not representing as much, and that's because of you know what we watch and what we what we get to see. Yeah. Well, we, we but, talked about uh, it last week with Bing Yuang that you just <clears throat> you, they they haven't had Pacific Asia teams haven't had the success on the international level as other countries have. And, and that's why Bing Yuang winning back in 2008 was so important. Yeah. 2009, they won 2008. They lost in the final, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking for in the decades to come. All right. Well, this has been fun. Hopefully you've enjoyed following along as we've gone through the decades. What do you think of our list for the 2010s? Who did we miss out? Please do let us know. You can find us on social media at game of stones plot or 
through email, gameofstonespodcast at gmail.com. And that'll do it for this series and for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show. Wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, ratings, comments, share it around with your friends. Let other people know what's going on to help us continue to grow as we head in to the new curling season. Games are being played already. Big games are coming up very shortly here in Ottawa as the pre-pre-pre-trials and the pre-pre-direct entry trials or whatever we're going to call this uh, are being played in the next few weeks. We'll have full coverage of those because we're local to them. And and as we head into the pre-trials, the trials, not only in Canada, but around the world, uh, this is going to be a super fun season. So spread the word. We'll be following it all, talking about it here on the show. So please do subscribe so you can keep up with us. And do head on over to GameStonesPodcast at gmail.com. As Scott mentioned at the start, we do have the merch with toques, hoodies, T-shirts, all proceeds going to Food Banks Canada and the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. And we are matching those as we head into the long weekend here in Canada be a time for us to check out those numbers and make that donation so that's it scott we did it we made it through what five decades yeah look at us pretty good pretty good so uh hope you enjoyed it scott oh i had a lot of fun and uh now we got to think of more ideas for next time well we got games now now there's games to talk about oh that's right that's right uh there were some games and uh some games coming up too Looking forward to that. So we'll talk about that. We have some other ideas in the hopper, but this is going to be a really fun curling season from, like I said, Olympic trials, Euros, PAX, uh, all all those events that will be going on, then into the Olympics, and then the inevitable blowing up of all the teams (laughs) that we are going to see in the spring. This is going to be a jam-packed season. We're very excited for it. So be sure to follow us along. It'll be a lot of fun. So we will start to look ahead once we get back with you next week but until then keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern make the final